Closet Podcast. I am your host, Lucas Ferreira. In this episode, I sat down with Aaron Nakama, who's the head novice coach for the Ains Cyclone Aquatics Club. Now, if you're following this show, you'll notice this is the third episode with a coach from ACAC, and it will be the last one, at least for now. So far, that's been the only club where I've gotten the chance to interview more than one coach. As I had mentioned before, since I had previously lived in Ames, I stayed there a little longer, so I had more time to talk people into doing this. In Aaron's case, there were a few reasons why I really wanted to get him on. I had not put this together until I started editing the last episode with Ben Utesh, but he had been mentioned by every single coach I interviewed up to this point. In addition, he's gone through a very unique path in swimming and coaching. He was a head coach at a young age, quit a coaching altogether to dedicate more time to his family, and then returned to coaching and now works exclusively with novice kids. We'll talk more about all that during the interview, but I think there's a lot of lessons in that journey that could be of help to other coaches. And finally, he's the guy who gave me my first full-time coaching job. So this interview had a few moments where it was a little bit of a therapy session for me, so uh, thanks in advance for entertaining it. With that in mind, here's another episode of the Swim Coaching Transit Podcast. A great conversation with my good friend, Aaron Nakama. All right, so Aaron, uh, thanks for taking the time to sit down and agreeing to uh, spend this time together. It's great to be here. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I've I've mentioned to you that uh, you were ones that that I really wanted to sit down and talk to. I guess the the main reason is I'm I'm going to mention this briefly in the introduction, but uh, you are the person that gave me my my first full time job in swimming. So I feel like after this you're going to start getting some angry letters. <laughs> Uh, or some thank you letters. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see where where it falls. Uh, but anyways, I guess uh, so. We go way back from from when we worked together. But I feel like you you definitely uh, have a a very good perspective, some very very good lessons that I think uh, are going to be uh, great to share with uh, anybody that's uh, listening to it. Uh, let's go ahead and get started. Talk about a little bit about your your path as a swimmer and. Uh, how that led to coaching and and all that you can be as succinct or as detailed as you want to be well my path as a swimmer uh swimming kind of came to be the most important sport as i was eight years old really young uh, i was very i was floundering i followed my brother into the sport and then all of a sudden uh, my muscles developed and um I had a competitive nature since I was uh, maybe sometimes a second child in the family has that, and so I carried that with me, and that kind of propelled me up to a certain spot, and that kind of kept me in the sport for many years. Uh, I had some backtrack, not backtracking. I had a few years there where other kids would progress at a much faster rate, and then by the time I was about 13, I was almost out of the sport, and then uh i got into some really heavy training with my high school team as i was a freshman that next year and uh that kind of put me back uh into a position where i felt like i was competitive with people in the state i grew up in wisconsin and uh that's kind of where i stayed and it was fun to be always having that ability to compete and 
I knew that I had some staying power since I had gone through ups and downs growing up. Uh, then I I always knew that I wanted to go Division One swimming. Um, for whatever reason, I felt like that was the place to be. And uh, the top school f- that had recruited me was Iowa State University. Um, and I had some other schools that I really liked that I saw, but that's kind of what felt like home to me. And I enjoyed the coach there. His name is Trip Hedrick. And that's where I wound up. And, uh, you know, maybe I was a little um, upset with myself for not progressing uh, as far as I had wanted to with that. Uh, but looking back, I am proud to say that I was able to train with some of the, uh, some really heavy hitters, at least the way I saw it, some people that were NC2A qualifiers. And I felt good about that. Proud of that. Uh, what got me into coaching um, was the fact that my junior year, our, our team got cut. I never had my senior season. I never had closure on my career, and I had that chip on my shoulder. I had done some coaching here and there. Uh, uh, I take that back. I had, My dad had purchased a video camera, uh, maybe late high school. He never really cared to watch it with me. But I spent hours watching myself. And I spent hours watching myself against other kids and noticing differences. And that was kind of the precursor to me having this analytical mind getting into the uh, coaching itself. And so since I, the team was cut, you know, I had done a little bit of coaching on the side here and there, a local swim team in town. Then the head coaching job opened up, and that's how I got to be a full-time head coach. So that's kind of the full story right there. So full-time head coach at the age of 21? 22. 22. Um, did you have any special mentors along the way? Uh, any any people that were uh, especially important in terms of uh, teaching us some lessons, teaching you the ins and outs of the sport? Um, well, I had uh, a lot of coaching mentors that um, I kind of latched on to. Everybody that I could talk to uh, that had been in the sport. And don't get me wrong, I wasn't humble by any stretch of the imagination. You know, there's, I think, a lot of people that uh, come right from college into a head coaching position uh, feel like they do know all the new stuff and they have something to give that maybe other people have missed. And that's how I, that's how I operated. And... I kind of um, took their advice, um, but I thought maybe I knew better in some respects. And so, yeah, I did have a a lot of people that I thought were helping me out, but I also disagreed with some of their, unwisely disagreed with uh, some of their things. I think in town, uh, the guy that helped me out was my college coach, Trip Hedrick. He had a lot of good advice for me throughout the years, life advice, really. Uh, But the people that I had relied on as a swimmer were the people that I usually called up, uh, club coaches, uh, Laren Tiltman, um, Steve Keller was one of them briefly. Uh, I would sometimes have some brief conversations with my high school coach, Jim Weitzer. You know, these are all great people to get some, some advice from. Okay. Um, I guess going ahead and going 
a little further deep into the story, uh, you were then head coach for 10, 12 years. I was head coach for nine. Nine years. Uh, and you made the unwise decision of hiring an assistant coach about seven <laughs> years into that. And uh, at one point then decided to uh, move on from coaching and and went into a completely different path and then went back into coaching. So I think that's uh, that's a pretty unique scenario and I'd like to, to hear a little bit about that. Um. There was a few factors that kind of led into that. Throughout uh, coaching, my, my number one goal had been to make the team that I had started with uh, so good that when I left it, if I was ever going to leave it, it would continue to get better. I had forgotten that in the late years of my coaching, but that was my main number one goal when I first started out. Because I always felt like um, maybe it would be a stepping stone, uh, the club that I started with. Uh, so that that was kind of the the big goal. When I left coaching, I was I was very angry with coaching, uh, angry with the scenario. And so it's kind of this uh, love-hate relationship. Part of me wanted the club not to do well because I was so upset with um, how things ended. But I always had a sense of pride whenever I noticed that they were doing really well. I remember the, uh, the coach that followed me actually won a state championship. And it was painful for me to send a, a congratulatory text because there's a lot of mixed emotions, but I did it anyway. And uh, I think that kind of brought me back to coaching. Because uh, uh, eight months later, he called me up and said, hey, we'd love to have you back on the staff. Uh, where were we going with this? Uh, <laughs> I think um, tracking back maybe, uh, you kind of mentioned the decision of uh, stepping away. I feel like there were, uh, having been here at the time, there were other factors uh, on that decision. And it's something that probably I would be asking a little later, but... Uh, you had uh, a daughter, you had... Okay, uh, so let me get back to that. So my main goal was to always have the club be more successful after I had left it. And I think that um, we had gotten to a point where that may have been uh, a reality. I, I was given the option to either probably get paid a little bit more or... Um, fully commit to uh, a full-time assistant, which is when we hired you. And that kind of, I think, changed the course of the swim team. So I I, always, I felt maybe a subconscious ease that maybe I could step away. The things that were outside of coaching, that kind of drew me away. Coaching, and I did this wrong, but I was gone for... I counted it up one year near the end of my, my tenure as head coach. Half the weekends of the year I was gone, at least Saturday and Sunday, and a lot of times Friday or Thursday through Sunday. And I didn't make very much money as a head coach. My wife was a breadwinner. She had moved into the area, didn't have a whole lot of friends. And we had a daughter. So here I was, the one who was doing this coaching thing, and I was taking a lot from my family 
and not really giving much to the family. And I had made the decision maybe maybe when my future wife had moved to town that that was more important than coaching. And when I started to realize the time commitment that was pulling from my family, and then I tell my wife, well, I have these dreams of coaching Olympians, and it's only going to get worse. The decision started to become very crystal clear that I was on the wrong path for the goals that I had in mind for my life. And starting that family and doing it the right way was more important than that. And yes, it was very hard for me to step away. My only identity had been either as a swimmer or as a swim coach for the entirety of my life. And changing that was challenging. Once I had made the decision, though, to step away, it was very freeing. Um, No, once I actually stepped away, it was very (laughs) freeing. The whole decision was not. The decision was um, very challenging. It was terrible. It was the uh, worst six months of my life. Yeah, I think um, to put some of those things in perspective, uh, one, something that's unique, I think, uh, to Iowa swimming and perhaps some other states have similar scenarios. You you mentioned the amount of travel. Um, Having been in Atlanta for a while now, we we can compete a lot more locally. We don't travel as much. But but in Iowa, that that was not a reality that uh, pretty much every meet was a travel meet to a degree. Um, Yeah, I think if I coached in a bigger city, I might still be doing it. Um, the, the other portion is that, uh, I think there were some, some growing pains going on with the club already. So when you decided to step away, uh, at the time that was not necessarily the most, uh, amicable, uh, well, I'd say y- you were included to, to a degree, even in, in finding the successor, but at some point in time, the club moved on and decided to do, to do their own thing. Um, but, but then as you mentioned, a couple years later, you came back, and uh, it's been it's been awesome to see you back on that. And you came back in a completely different role. After uh, I guess it's it's a real fast forward because you made all these decisions to in order to dedicate yourself to your family. Uh, now you have three kids. Uh, <laughs> I've been staying with you, and it's been great to see your family. Uh, it's it, it really is. Uh, uh, quite amazing every night the amount of energy these kids have I, I I had not spent extended time in a house with three kids all under nine or nine or younger and uh, I, I think of parenting a little different now as well I think I'm gonna <laughs> talk to the parents and <laughs> whenever I go back to coaching uh, a little bit different but um, so all those decisions to dedicate yourself to your family did pay out and uh, uh, work out really well and and you found a way back into coaching as well yeah, um, I'm a lot happier now on deck. A lot, a, a few things happened in my time away. Uh, one, I needed, I needed time to reset from coaching, and that took a few years. Uh, two, coming back uh, in a lot of ways gave me a clean slate, and. I noticed it right away when I walked on deck. The first job I had coming back was just to kind of help out the the, the head coach with the, the senior group, the high schoolers. 
and they had this vision of me. Uh, I don't know if it was a fear of me or uh, somewhat of respect or stories about me that may have uh, altered how they perceive me. But when I came back, there was uh, a lot more respect. And I noticed that right away. And I changed how I interacted with the kids right away. I had all these dreams when I was a head coach of being charismatic and inspirational. And I had some of that with some of the kids. Uh, they, they, especially the ones that still coach with me, uh, they would tell me stories about the things that I said that, that impacted them. But as far as being, you know, you see uh, football coaches giving inspirational speeches. I, that's the guy, kind of guy I wanted to be, and I kind and I wasn't. And when I came back, uh, the way that they saw me, the way that they kind of all, you know, stood in the line, stood up straighter. Suddenly, I had that, and I recognized that right away. That you know how I walked and talked and how I acted was a big part of that, and that became a big part of my coaching. My my coaching wasn't what was written on the board. It wasn't uh, the things that came out of my mouth. It was how I said them. It was, it was much more of an act than it had ever been. And uh, that, that changed a lot when, when I came back. And, I tr- and I'd taken that, and I really tried to put that into my coaching. And so I've changed my whole personality, I think, on deck for those reasons. It was quite amazing to see the difference two and a half years makes. Uh, at, at what point did you uh, become the the novice coach, the head of the novice program for ACAC? So I started as a senior uh, helping out in that December of 2014. Uh, was all the way through sectionals March of 2015. Then there were some coaching changes. I became the pre-senior coach at ages 11 to 14. Did it that summer. That was my first time coaching a group by myself in almost three years. And then at the end of the summer, there was more coaching changes. Uh, We had a new head coach, and they couldn't really fit me into a schedule because I was a full-time graduate student. And they said, well, hey, there is one group that might fit your schedule. It's the little kids. So would you be willing to take it over? And I was a little hesitant at first because I didn't really want to be coaching my daughter who was going to be about that age. But I decided, okay, well, we'll see what we can do with this. You know, nobody's, at least as far as I could tell for ACAC, nobody's really put all of their energy fully into this little kids program. So I'm going to see what I can do with that. So then I got really excited about it. So it was the... September 2015 is when I took over the novice group. Yeah, I think everybody I talked to on staff uh, commented on on how how impactful that is. Uh, it's obviously really unique. I, I mean, it's a it's somebody that has the capacity to be a head coach that has been a head coach that has close to 10 years of experience in, uh, in all levels of swimming. Uh, now dedicating himself to the novice program, making sure that those kids that are just stepping into the door are, are starting the right way. And uh, having been on deck, it's been, it's been pretty cool to see as well. I will say this, though. 
Just like when I started out uh, at age 22 with all these grand plans. I, I spent hours writing on a seasonal plan. I spent hours <laughs> writing out how to how to teach freestyle in, in the most minute details. And we got like four weeks into it and everybody hated it. And I just crumpled it all up and threw it in the trash bin. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> um. So yeah, I learned a lot about how to teach uh, little kids how to swim. It was nothing like I had ever done before. And it, it's not like teaching swim lessons because I've done tons of that. It's way different. Right. Um, what, I guess just a, a little bit more a curiosity piece for anybody listening. What, you went back to grad school during that hiatus period. And uh, what what was your degree in? <laughs> Uh, again, a lot of things are motivated um, by the needs of the family. I went back into undergrad. I did pre-med curriculum for two and a half years because I wanted to become a physician because I thought that would help my family, uh, a better paycheck or something. The schooling, the intense schooling around it probably was not going to, and thankfully they all rejected me. <laughs> so that kind of... Uh, made me rethink uh, what I was going to do. And I wasn't going to go anywhere else besides what was available in Ames, Iowa, which is Iowa State University. So I started thinking to myself, well, I've really kind of enjoyed some of the biology topics that I've taken, uh, which grad programs will accept me. And I was a little bit more into the molecular biology and uh, neuroscience, and both of those programs... Um, well, neuroscience gave me the uh, go-ahead, and then I added the molecular biology uh, portion a little bit later. But it was more like, not begging, but I asked a lot of people if it would be okay if I would be let into their programs, and uh, they all said it was okay. So uh, that's kind of how I got into grad school. I did spend a lot of time during those first two and a half years as a, a post baccalaureate undergrad, I guess as, as it's called, uh, developing relationships with professors. I spent a lot of time developing relationships, and that really kind of helped me out with the grad school portion of that. And so then when I was in grad school, uh, I studied molecular and cellular developmental biology. It's a long name, MCDB, and neuroscience. I had a dual major. I was in a PhD program. Uh, I kind of enjoyed the science of it. Uh, a lot of fan, fancy things, not fancy, uh, fantastic things I learned about the people I was with. Uh, helped change how I think about the world, being critical of things. Um, but again, two years into it, uh, my PI, uh, which is my boss in grad school, was denied tenure. And my wife and I thought about it and decided, well, maybe I should just be a stay-at-home dad. So I switched from PhD to master's and finished up uh, in three years. And uh, that was great. Uh, felt very good to be done with that. Um, it felt very good to have that education. All right. Also, kind of closing the circle on that full story, you also have a currently a full-time job at ISU. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Um, well, okay. So 
the once I graduated, the goal was to be a stay-at-home dad because, you know, we had two kids. And then um, right before I graduated, uh, my wife was pregnant, and we had our third kid uh, about a few months after I had graduated. And that was, uh, that was a challenge. Um, when you're working full-time or when you're doing a job and you come home to your kids, your kids are a reward. Uh, when you stay at home, it's a little bit odd. I, I don't quite know how to describe it, but I've talked to other parents about this. It's uh, it's not as happy as it, <laughs> as it is when you're working, I guess. Um, then uh, I kept talking to my wife. I'm like, well, hey, I have this master's degree. Either I get a job or it has it does have a shelf life it will expire in several years if i don't try to do something with it and i looked around for some part-time jobs i wanted to be in front of a classroom none of them seemed like they would stick and so this job opened up at the university which is a teaching lab coordinator which basically i i work with a lot of graduate students to uh, support them as they teach the courses that I'm coordinating. And then I make sure all the equipment is there for them and uh, plan ahead and make sure things are running smoothly. That job opened up. I was like, well, I'm going to apply for it. We'll see. Uh, I don't think I'm that strong of a candidate. And then every time uh, they said, okay, well, we'll give you an interview. Okay, great. I failed at every interview I've ever had. You might wonder how I became the head coach. They didn't actually interview me. So <laughs> most of my interviews I've had for, for for jobs or med school or something have been complete disaster. So I said, hey, I've got nothing to lose. So I went this. I had six people interviewing me at once. It was a little intimidating, but honestly, it's the most myself I've ever been in those situations. And then... I was about ready to withdraw my name again. I'm like, you know what? They didn't give it to me. <laughs> and then, of course, they offered me. So I was like, oh, well, now. Now we have a whole new set of problems. Now we have to hire a chauffeur babysitter for our kid. I mean, there were reasons why I didn't quite want a full-time job. But uh, we were able to solve those issues. And, yes, I've been very happy uh, with that job. It did not impact. It impacted my availability for coaching very minimally. Right. Uh, and I, I feel like that's also a, a, a good segue here to uh, your making sure as a dad that your kids are in all sorts of different activities. And, and today uh, you had three kids at three different places. Uh, and, and so kind of uh, moving them around. Uh, but also you're uh, pretty interesting to see because you're, you're also trying to learn from those other activities and, and think about what can we do better in swimming or what can you, you guys do better in swimming, uh, learning some of those lessons from, uh, from some of those other activities. Yeah. Well, before I get into that, I'll say this. When I was just a coach and not a parent, I said, I'm never going to make the mistake of having my kids do too many activities. <laughs> and of course my kids do way too many activities I'll, and honestly we are, are we're forcing playtime on our kids whenever we can so i'll say that so yes um 
you know, having that coaching perspective and, and watching other sports do their thing, it's been amazing to see. Uh, I've always been amazed with gymnastics and their ability to generate strength in kids. And so I've been watching that. But my kids didn't really do gymnastics after the, the, the little tumble bugs, you know, the five-year-old stuff. Um, so I, I was only giving a, getting a small snapshot. But what I got from that was that Having your kids do, you know, some activities early really helps their neural development. And so I was always impressed with uh, the opportunities that they had. And honestly, the gymnastics was the only one that gives, you know, the two or three-year-olds a chance to do anything. Um, so there was that. Uh, taekwondo. Uh, it's a wonderful activity for the kids to do. Uh, they have all these life lessons that they teach. Um they're very slow about introducing skills. They teach a lot of, uh, you know, respect and, and how to interact with authority figures. And I saw that and I thought, hey, well, not only is it great to learn that, but these are also our direct competitors um, for teaching kids lessons. And at the end of the day, when a parent is looking for activities for kids, uh, it's, it's usually the parents that think to themselves, where can my kid learn how to be a good kid? Where can my kid get life lessons and, and values like hard work or goal setting? And we, we, as coaches, we sometimes get too focused on the parents that are super intense, that want um, production or performance. And that's probably not the majority, you know? It's more of the parents that look for activities that are fulfilling for their kids. What's going to help my kids learn lessons that can be applied to more parts of their life than just the soccer field or the taekwondo dojo or the gymnastics floor exercise. And so I saw that and I thought, hey, I should be taking notes on these great people that we have in town. And they've been great to watch. They're never in a rush to teach skills. And if one, one thing I learned from coaching by watching them was that we should also not be in a rush. You know, we should teach them age appropriate skills. We should, we, we don't need to have them doing flip turns when they're seven years old. I know that might be, uh, some people might disagree with that. I, I don't think so. I, the way I see it, uh, some, a lot of seven year olds don't have the musculature to do those things. And it's really not going to be efficient for them to waste time learning those things. So slow it down a little bit. Spend more time working on the freestyle. Spend more time working on, on that breaststroke kick that's really hard to do. Don't try to teach everything at once. And, and I learned that from watching all these other programs, and it's been amazing to see. Yeah, I'd like to add to that that I think every coach would uh, say that, yes, we, we want to teach these kids life lessons. We want to teach them values uh, beyond the water. It's... Uh, more about how the rubber meets the road and, and uh i think every program that i that i observe and that i talk to coaches they they will pride themselves into doing that as well but uh some other sports have some a different take on that uh it seems like or some other activities have a different take on that and and, and make that a little bit of more of a bigger part of what they're doing uh from what you you're telling me um so uh, I think you're referring to maybe like 
like the Taekwondo has a, a theme each month where they talk about how to uh, cross the road. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, something, some things like that. I mean, I, I guess you, you mentioned that some of those activities are teaching life lessons and that's what the parents are doing. And I, again, I think everybody in swimming would argue that swimming teaches life lessons as well, but it's, uh, are we really uh, planning your programs around those or, or kind of hoping that just by the performance we're teaching them? I see what you're saying. Uh, it's it's my experience that I don't know if the, enough of that is promoted in the sport of swimming. It's just you go through the whole swimming process of work hard and, and get better and you know, looking at the pace clock and knowing how to count and, and those things and uh, hoping that they'll learn some of those skills. I, I think it really needs to be put out there very um, uh, deliberate I, or there you go. Deliberate. <laughs> Sometimes my words fail me. Uh, I work with little kids, so I don't have big <laughs> words. Uh, no, you, you, you have to put it in front of the parents and say, this is why we're teaching these things. You have to tell the kids, this is why we're doing these things. I want you to learn these life lessons. Uh, I do make sure that I, I, I mention these things very deliberately, why we do them and, and how it impacts their life. And, uh, you know, if you don't do that, the parents don't see that and you really kind of have to hook the parents into this and the kids don't see that. The kids, you know, they're, they're not adults. They have to be told these things thousands of times before maybe they understand it a little bit and that and yeah i i really do think that uh the sport of swimming doesn't do that enough and that's uh the way i see it and, and I, i've sent this these emails to parents too uh i'm focused on teaching them how to be good people that that comes before swimming Glad I'm telling you this now because that's what I'm going to go to practice on Friday. That's probably what I'm going to talk about with the kids. We got to be good people. That's so important. That's you can carry that outside of the pool. And the other thing I tell parents, especially with the novice group, you might not come back to swimming. Your kids should try a lot of activities. But if you leave here knowing that you've learned good lessons, at least you're going to talk about that with other people around town. That's super important. Okay, kind of kind of moving on on the on our conversation here. Do you? We already talked about a lot about your story and and how you uh, came to be where you are today. Would you have any kind of favorite uh, failure stories, uh, things that uh, really didn't go according to plan, uh, but that you learned an important lesson? So essentially, something that some some failures that that help propel you forward. Uh. <laughs> you know, I like to say that I was a very immature kid in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't have a favorite failure because in some respects, I failed at pretty much everything I've done. I did not win an Olympic gold medal. I never made the Olympics. I did not coach an Olympian. I did not get a PhD. Uh, so you could say that I did fail at those things. But would I have had the if I didn't hadn't gone through a lot of those? Would I have had the humility to see that 
my kids are more important than what my dreams were. Uh, to see that I have to, you know, exist below my wife in order for this marriage to work as well as it does. Uh, so, <laughs> a favorite failure. Uh, uh, you know, stepping, like, having a lot of people upset with me for stepping away from coaching or upsetting them with my passion for trying to be good uh, and not knowing how to maybe talk correctly to the parents. Some of that has given me a lot of perspective on how to talk to parents now. Um, maybe that, if that's what you're referring to, those things have helped me. It's hard to say because I feel like, you know, the, the, the whole life process for me started at, I don't know, 16 or 17. And growing up took a good, you know, 15 years at least. And... It's really hard to say if I had a favorite failure. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think you, you talked about many, and uh, the point there is just uh, those are the moments you le we learn the most, really. There, there's no way around it. And unfor fortunately or unfortunately, that's how humans learn. So it's not – you don't have to necessarily have a, fa a favorite one, but I feel like uh, just that sharing of stories, uh, and, and you share plenty, that uh, things – you start with a plan, and the – and things don't go according to plan. No, and, and then you learn your lessons and you and you and you adapt. I'll say this. I'll say this. I hear this a lot, especially from young kids. Uh, the whole YOLO, you only live once, or have no regrets. And I and I completely disagree with that mindset because it's it's the regrets that have made me a better person. That when I get into moral decisions, it's those regrets that help me to. Um, see the better path you know if you have no regrets then maybe you're not doing something right yeah maybe maybe you need to grow up a little bit I, so I do have regrets <laughs> so uh, oh no kind of on that line if you if you go, could go back in time and uh, give some advice to your uh, I guess we talked about thirty-year-old, and when we briefly talked about this, and maybe maybe my myself should be a twenty-five-year-old. What kind of advice would you give yourself? At uh, well, well, I'd do my best to give myself advice, but again, if if I had tried to make myself wiser at that age, um, I probably wouldn't be where I am right now. So, uh, one thing I will say is that you can't have your full identity in your career. Uh, I've, I've seen other swim coaches talk about it. Uh, and I completely agree with, with how that is because then you, you exist for the good performances and you, you take a hit to your personality when there's a bad performances or when a parent comes at you and yells at you. And, and then you get to this point where you realize that the kids only swim well twice a year. So then you you really only feel good maybe six days out of 365. Uh, is that really worth it? Is Couldn't she be doing better? And so I would probably tell my 25-year-old self, uh, go to bed early, do a hobby, do something. Involve yourself in the community somehow. Do, you know, exist in more than one realm. I, th I think that's super important. And especially for the swimmers, 
you know, if I could, if I could tell my young swimmer self, you got to find an academic pursuit that is fun because I was completely all swimming. And a lot of the people I went to college with, they had swimming and academics because they, they were passionate about a career beyond swimming and they were much happier for it. So that's what I would tell. Well, with, uh, with that in mind, uh, we talked about many, many decisions you made, many career decisions, including changing careers and, and, and this and that. Is there anyone that you would say it was probably the best decision I've made uh, up to this point? Uh, well, maybe two. One was to take the head coaching job uh, because... I kind of needed to put myself out there in a place where I could be judged. Uh, and probably more important than that was walking away. Because <laughs> uh, it, it had consumed me, and I needed to be released from that. All right. So if, uh, if you had to give a presentation, well, I guess... The other side of this question is if you had to give a presentation or teach a college course, but you kind of do teach a college course or at least help teach a college course. So <laughs> what what topic would it be? Uh, what what else? So I guess in your case, I'm going to pull you away from that lab as well. You can't, you can't use that as a crutch. <laughs> if I could teach a college course. Or, or, or just give, say, give an hour presentation on, on a different topic, one, one of the two. Well, you know me. I, I've been super fascinated by the subject of physics as a general subject. If I could go back uh, and decide which graduate career to take, I probably would have studied physics. Um, what particular brand of that? Uh, well, there's a lot there. Um, but if I was to do a little swimming take on it, I would love to kind of study uh, some of the fluid mechanics around how the the bodies move in freestyle. Uh, it fascinates me how how the water moves around the body in those those instances, and I would love to study that further. Uh, I have a lot of opinions, uh, opinions that are not supported by any sort of evidence, and I wouldn't mind doing some research on that and then give a presentation on it. I've always been fascinated by those things. I made up some stuff uh, <laughs> 10 years ago on the start that I thought was pretty important. Uh, I do still hold a lot of those things, uh, again, opinions to be uh, true in my mind anecdotally. Um, but yeah, that that's really kind of where my interest lies is a lot of the little tiny technical aspects of how swimmers move. I would love to really kind of get into that. And do you have any, I mean, I, I know the answer to this question, but uh, do you have any hobbies outside of swimming or outside of, uh, outside of both? Let's say, do you have any hobbies outside of having a parent, being a parent of three kids, having a full-time job and coaching swimming? <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, no. Um, I've, uh, I've always wanted to have hobbies uh, but hobbies always come at the expense of family time. Well, you, uh, 
but I did do some woodworking. Yeah, this that was, I was going to bring that up. You, you started doing some woodwork. You have some shelves. You have some stuff you build yourself. So I turned 39. Like I, I'd done a few projects around the house, but suddenly I turned 39 and I got addicted to woodworking YouTube channels. And then uh, I told my wife I wanted to build this thing for the kids. And she allowed me to make a bunch of expensive purchases, which was these woodworking tools. And yeah, I spent about six or seven weeks building this thing in the garage for the kids. It was a lot of fun. I think the kids got a little uh, bored <laughs> watching me fail. It was really hard. <laughs> I'll say that. But yeah, it, it, it felt good to, to put that together. Um, I wouldn't mind doing a whole lot more of that, actually. Uh, I did watch some videos on, you know, building electronics, too. That, that would be cool. Making stuff is fun. There's something to it, and uh, get, using your mind in a different way than than just thinking about the physics of swimming. There you go. Um, you're not in a position that you're you're hiring coaches anymore, but since you've been there, um, this is one thing that has recently fascinated me: is how how clubs and programs go about hiring people, and um, and then how how do you go about onboarding people and make, making sure that the hires are, are coming on board with the right uh, mindset? Did you have any, uh, from the time that you did, any uh, feedback, tips, tools that you would give people? I don't know how uh, my club does it now. When we hired you, I, I marketed the position as we're going to educate you. We're going to bring you in. We're going to send you to clinics where we, we actually send you on a sabbatical to uh, uh, an, an Olympic level coach for a week. Um, and so that's kind of how I sold it because I know that uh, if you're a coach, a young coach coming in looking for a leg up, you're going to want to go to a place that wants to invest money in you to educate you uh, as part of your professional development. And uh, of course I have, you know, a, salary minimums that I would suggest that maybe it's not my place to even say them now, but, uh, if I was to market positions, it would be to grab young and up and coming coaches with, Hey, well, you can use us as a stepping stone. Let's, let's work on this together. You give us three years of your time. Uh, we'll educate you. And then if you want to stay great, if you don't, um, thanks. Right. Yeah. I, I gotta say that on my end, that's, that was the number one thing that probably sold me into the position is that that promise to uh, uh, to help me get better as a coach, which I think the club did. Don't know that if I'm, I'm any good still, but uh, the, <laughs> the club tried. <laughs> uh, I will say though that um, now you talk. The other part of it is onboarding. Not to cut you off, but I want to right, make sure yeah. that uh, I got this on there. I don't. I have coaches that come into my situation and work with me that I have to get them up to speed on what it's like to coach novice kids. And that's a completely different thing. And the first girl I had working with me, I inherited her and, uh, I wanted her to feel a part of it. So I made sure that I knew she was, she needed to feel important and, I made that a big part of my coaching every day. I would go through my team meetings and ask her if she had anything to add. And then I would give her lanes to coach. And then I'd ask her opinions on how things went. And uh, if 
she had something to say, I would make sure that we tried to implement it. Then we got a new person. Uh, we actually gave her a group. And, man, she got really good at coaching the novice kids um, throughout the course of the summer just by having her own group of kids to work with. You know, I, I would provide a little bit of an example, and then she would kind of run with that. Uh, unfortunately, she had to move on to the age group because there's not a whole lot of hours coaching novice. There's more hours coaching the bigger groups. Uh, so then we got a new girl, and same thing. We gave her the group, gave her some examples, um, but mostly I want them to feel important, and I think that's kind of the big thing. If they if they can run a group by themselves, have some autonomy, that really helps them feel invested in the club, and I get a better performance out of them, and I need to have a good performance out of my novice staff that work with me because we are the gateway to the club. So anybody that works with me, I have to get them up to speed quickly. And everything you know about coaching, you kind of have to forget it because coaching the novice group is not like any other group. So I do have a, a big role in, on, I guess, onboarding right. for my group. Uh, do you do... I think that the portion of autonomy is really important. I think uh, people people tend to thrive more and enjoy more the, their scenario if they're giving some autonomy. Uh, how do you go about making sure that they're kind of still following the right, uh, I'd say the right program or the right philosophy that you have uh, as you're giving them that autonomy? Uh, well, it starts with a lot of conversations about how things are different with the novice kids. You know, there there is no set minimum yardage there's no maximum yardage in fact there is no such thing as yardage with the novice kids that's the first thing out the door uh swim sets well let's do 425s or let's do 1025s forget it forget it uh maybe swim half pools and see how they do if you have any kids that look like they're crying you better change what you're doing right away you know it, it's it, it's it's you also you have to be willing to alter whatever it is you're doing. I stopped writing workouts for the novice groups because it was just it's too controlling. There's not enough flexibility. Um, so it starts with those conversations about how we do things, and then again, coaching uh, is acting, and I make sure to put on a performance for the the person that's going to be helping me out. They need to know how to act. And I and I say that a lot. They respond to your moods, and this is how we do things. And so the first thing I do is I try to get the kids to laugh, and then I make some jokes, and then I make some more ridiculous jokes when we're talking about things. Then you say, good news. And then I say my, my typical good news, and I usually give them bad news. Like, hey, we have 10 push-ups because you guys didn't touch your hands in ketchup freestyle. And so, you know, the jokes are for the kids, but it's it's amusing to the person there, and it kind of said, it lets them know that, oh, okay, so I kind of have to be bubbly. I have to have a certain type of personality. And so I do try to lead by example, and I, I kind of make it known that this is the type of persona that you need. And I, and I do that maybe not so explicitly with saying it, and I do mention that to them, but it's more of how I go about 
showing them what I'm talking about. All right. Uh, I made a note to myself here because um, I remember this from from eight years ago from back when we were uh, together, part of the staff for, for ACAC. And at that time, uh, because of the way the club runs, we had a lot of uh, assistant coaches at one point in time. And we, or you started making the decision to take most of them to meets and, and, and take almost all of them uh, or every, anybody that had contact with some kids when those kids were going to championship meets. And I, at some point in time, I said something like, we're, we're kind of overstaffing these meets and, and might, might be costing the club more than it should. And, and I remember you making the comment that uh, if we want these coaches to be invested in these kids and these kids are going to their championship meets, we, we need to make sure that we're, we're taking the coaches as well. And I, I, I took that with me because I thought that was a, a, a pretty good lesson. It was probably investing some money that didn't necessarily need to be spent, but uh, I thought it was... Uh, I remember it made a big difference once we started doing that. Uh, we did seem to have a staff that was more uh, more in line and more involved with the club. I said that. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Ben Utesh, the guy who's the age group coach, he will tell me stories about myself, and I always say, really? I said those things? <laughs> I, wow. Okay. Uh, it's great to hear. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, – it's a theme a uh, couple of people that I, that I talked to up to this point already that uh yeah sometimes you you don't realize the things that you're saying that that are are going to make an impact but uh so yeah that that did if you don't remember saying it that still did make an impact um good job me <laughs> <laughs> uh if you if you could pick uh let's say up to 3 but if you can pick anywhere one one is fine uh uh, skills or that this could be re- swimming related skills or qualities this could be ca- character qualities if you could pick one or three uh, skills or qualities that you would like every kid that goes through the novice program with you to have by the time they move on to the next level of swimming or by the time they move away what what would those be uh there is only one universal talent that can be identified in kids as swimming do they love the sport? That is the only thing. And I've talked with, uh, I, I talk a lot with Ben. Uh, he's kind of a great resource. But y- you have to care enough about what you're doing that it doesn't matter that something is difficult. And you can only get that if you really enjoy either the sport or enjoy the competitive aspect of what you're doing. If you don't, and I say, hey, you need to hold your streamline past the flags. Well, you ain't going to do it because you don't care enough to care about those little details. And you only get that care by loving it. And I've, I've had a few kids that you can really tell love it, and they're easy to coach. They will do those things. And that that's kind of the basis, um, the, the number one thing. I, I tell the uh, parents that uh, our only goal here is for them to love the sport in the novice groups. And so, yeah, that's that's an, uh, that's the only quality that I really do care about. Do you, I mean, I guess pretty much everything you do seems to be uh, somewhat geared towards that, but would you have any kind of special tips to uh, make sure you're you're working on that? 
having them love the sport. Yes. Well, that's my entire program. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we do a lot of um, contests, a lot of racing and contests. Uh, those are those those other skills that come along with it. We are a competitive sport, so how do we have them love competition? Well, they're going to have to do it a lot. We do races. We have lanes competing against lanes. We'll have boys versus girls if we you know, happen to have even numbers that day. Uh, and, and then I give punishments to the lanes that don't win, which usually is push-ups. Uh, because, hey, you probably didn't win because your arms weren't strong enough, so let's do push-ups. Uh, so... We do that. Um, I had a I, I had the entire pool this summer, so we just did some really odd things about swimming crossways across the pool. I don't know, pulling on the lane lines. I, I, I you know what I did. Uh, one thing that offends me is when kids don't know how to play in the water, and we worked on actual playing skills in the water. Like, can you, you know, just kind of swim along the bottom and, and explore? Can you, can you uh, pull yourself along the side? Can you go and try and touch the bottom? Uh, underwater breaststroke, like, you know, the for distance that people do when they, when they play in pools, can they do that? You know, people don't go to the outdoor pools and do, you know, streamlined butterfly kick to if they want to impress their friends going across. They do underwater breaststroke. And so I was appalled when some of my kids couldn't do that. So we actually worked on play skills in the water. Can you go sink down to the bottom and jump back up? That's actually a life-saving skill. It's a playtime skill. So, yeah, we do we do lots of things that I think are important for uh, just being in the water. But those are the th- kinds of things that are also fun that they should be doing. It helps them love the sport. Right. But, yeah, I, I could go on and on about the things that we do. To get them to love the sport, I, 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 it would be a two-hour conversation just on that. <laughs> I feel like you talked a lot already about kind of your program and a lot, a lot of things you do. So if you want to uh, just brush through this or not, not completely answer. But is there anything that uh, any changes you made recently or any any tools you incorporated recently? Anything that uh, kind of a recent change that that you would like to talk about? Well, uh, last year. We added this thing called the wristband challenge. That was single-handedly the greatest thing I, greatest idea I've ever had for coaching. It's not a new idea in terms of what it is. It's just a list of time standards that I made up for every stroke. And we focus our kids around the 25, um, 25 yard freestyle, 25 back, 25 breast, 25 free or butterfly. And, trying to make those faster. So I made a list of uh, five standards for each stroke and they get a different colored wristband um, for each um, level that they get. That's just one of those silicone wristbands you get that you can wear in the pools. You see them all the time now. Live Strong or whatever it is kind of came out with those first. And the reason I did that was uh, a few, th- there's, there's a number of reasons. I wanted kids to kind of, you know, have goal setting, you know. I want the next level wristband. What do I have to do to get it? I wanted them to know their times. And the problem that I saw was that we, our kids would go to maybe one meet a month, maybe one or maybe three meets a season. 
And they would do one event every hour and a half, two hours. And they would always be mixed in with the 9, 10-year-old, 11, 12-year-olds. How, how do you really enjoy the sport that way? How do you know what your times are that way? How do you, it, It's so infrequent. And I felt like we were at a disadvantage compared to the YMCA's. They always have these two-hour meets that have you know, a couple times a month, and their kids are always racing, and they always get this practice. So I introduced this program, and sudden, all of a sudden, kids were really into the racing. They always wanted to get up and race. They always wanted to get that next-level wristband. They were all super excited about it. They always asked me, hey, can we do a wristband challenge? And that, it was like night and day. Suddenly, they started to get being competitive. They, they went to meets with a purpose. They, they come to practice with a purpose, uh, all because of these little wristbands that I had made up for them um you know me talking about it this way it doesn't really do it justice but that's been an amazing thing and suddenly they have goals that they can have at practice because if you do an event a 25 freestyle at a meet three times in six months does your time really mean anything to you when you're seven years old it doesn't now it does because they can have a tangible award that they can they can hold they can wear it at practice if they want yeah so uh i guess just to give a little bit of more exp explanation the way i first kind of internalized what it meant is that you it's very similar to times like we have the national time standards double a triple a quad a uh, but you adapted for the kids you're coaching made it 25s uh, you run it in practice meaning they don't have to be going to these long meets to uh, get them and rather than just getting an award. And I think some people in the past gave the patches for the for those time standards, but this is wristband is something that they can wear around. So it kind of probably means a little bit more f to them. Well, yeah, that's kind of the hot item right now. You get wristbands for everything at school or around town. The our outdoor pool gives it for deep water passes. So yeah, it was, it was kind of the thing to do, these silicone wristbands. But yeah, it's, it's just like the national time standards and that kind of really motivated me as a kid, but I couldn't, as a, when I was head coach of the club, I could never sell that. So this was kind of my, my new way to do that. Right. Um, moving on from the coaching for a little bit, talking more about, um, kind of your somewhat personal life right now. Uh, do you, I mean, again, uh, three kids and a uh, full-time job and a coaching job on the side. Do you have a routine no <laughs> <laughs> no um the, it, the well here's the thing uh i spend a lot of time uh creating like these intricate excel spreadsheets that helps me plan out my schedule the idealized schedule that i could have every morning and if i can do that at, like two times a week that's great but no at least it helps me figure out all the duties that need to happen on a given day get things done but every every evening is different because the kids activities are different all the time so no i don't have a routine i do feel like i'm just kind of winging it half the time when i was a little bit younger you know yeah i could do things i would have time to read something during the day i, I could do that but no it, parenting is a whole lot of uh guessing and you know, pretending and 
maybe you get it right and the kids are all at the same place at the same time or something. <laughs> what, what about in the morning? Do you have something you start your day about the same way or? <laughs> okay, yes, yes, I do. Um, <laughs> I, I make uh, a ton of coffee and then I make sure that my kids have eggs. So I make eggs every morning. And so they hate my eggs, but they're forced to eat it. <laughs> and then, uh, like, you know, I have to get myself dressed professionally. Uh, I got to get the kids out the door. I stopped yelling at my kids to hurry up. You, you might think I'm yelling a, a little bit, but it was, it used to be a lot more. Then I realized, you know what? Uh, if they go to school with their teeth unbrushed and their bags are not packed, you know, that's their fault. I can't do this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what it is, uh, if they're making me late, then I get upset. But it's it's to the point now where the they would have a hard time making me late. They're just going to make themselves late at that point. So. But yeah, the the routine is just to get uh, a healthy breakfast to have everybody's day start. And honestly, the kids are very groggy. And by the time that they leave the house, they're usually in a pretty good mood. But the whole hour to get them to eat and get themselves dressed and brush their teeth, I mean, it, it's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like uh, I've uh, been here for almost a week and uh, your kids are usually singing or dancing so i guess that that's the that's the hard part of getting them organized but i i haven't seen them uh groggy much i guess <laughs> well they're supposed to wake up according to my idealized schedule at 6 45 uh <laughs> it's more like 7 25 now so that's uh that's, what is that 40 minutes later that, that kind of shortens things up a lot of it is and, and you didn't see this because the two-year-old is now two but you know, I would have to have my oldest be ready first so that she could actually watch the, the little kid when he was one so that I could do more stuff. Now that he's two, he can take care of himself quite a bit more. But, yeah, it was kind of stressful to, to get out the door with all that going on. It used to be worse. All right. Uh, we're kind of uh, towards the tail end here, uh, and this is something we – kind of talked about but I feel like this is a an important topic for for people to hear which is uh, I call it talking about the dark side of coaching talking about the fact that the job sometimes can have a toll on family life uh, it can have uh, high expectations uh, hard hours uh, sometimes pay is probably not appropriate to uh, the degree to each you're, you're putting in work um, and again in your case uh, to a degree, they probably play, played a role in terms of uh, some of the decisions you made. And uh, I think number one is, uh, would you would you like to expand on that? And would you have any uh, tips for uh, people to kind of minimize that and hopefully stay into coaching a little longer? How can they, how can they go about uh, kind of almost protecting themselves to make sure that, uh, I, I think we all get into coaching. It's, it's easy to be passionate about coaching. It is. I would agree with that. Yeah, it it is. I mean, it's. Uh, I'm still on the stage that it's it's a drug. Uh, it's it's hard for me to be away, but uh, at some point that that can wear off. And so, how do how do you kind of protect yourself to, uh, um, to make sure you don't don't have the lows and the pitfalls? Uh, 
well, to prevent yourself from having the lows, um, your your athletes aren't you. It's easy to say that, and it's easy to say, oh, yeah, you're right. But, you know, being able to emotionally separate yourself from that, uh, that, that took me a while, but I did learn how to do that, you know. You can say, well, Aaron, you coach, you know, seven and eight year olds. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I'm a parent now too. And so, you know, there's, you know, you want your kid to do well. And how do you, how do you get around that? Uh, my kids aren't me. I mean, that that's kind of the thing. And I've, I've tried really hard to make sure that I maintain that philosophy uh, as a parent because you know, I, I gave that lip service as a coach. I didn't really live up to that. But as a parent, uh, I felt like I've done pretty good with that. You know, when my daughter was on stage dancing, yeah, I got nervous when she was dancing and doing her uh, her solos or whatever she was doing. But if she did good or bad, and I was like, all right, cool, that was fun, you know? Um, so that that's kind of important, and uh, maybe to help protect yourself. Uh, I've mentioned a lot of things about making sure that coaching isn't your only identity. I think that's important. I'm not just talking about hanging out with friends. I'm talking about actually doing other things like volunteering or having a different activity that you, you do. That's maybe not on par with coaching, but pretty important in your life that you have to plan around it a little bit. Uh, parents, that's kind of a big thing. You know, how do, how do you, how do you work with that? How do you, how do you, um, you know, kind of keep yourself at bay? One thing I learned from you was to engage parents directly. Communication is key to getting around a lot of that. And the more you send emails out weekly, the more you do um, things about telling people why you do things, the easier it's going to be. Uh, my first few years as novice coach, I sent out these ridiculously technical, <laughs> overly technical, pages-long emails on my theories on backstroke and freestyle and butterfly. And I wanted the parents to realize how complicated it is. And I figured if I could get out there and say some of these things, maybe not talk over them, which those emails probably did to an exaggerated degree, uh, that wasn't necessarily my intent, but I did want them to know that we we put a lot into how we try to teach what we're doing. And it, those trailed off because they can be hard to write, <laughs> to keep up that kind of a pace on those things. But what that did was that created a reputation that has stayed with me now about Aaron's a guru with technique or Aaron... Uh, knows a lot about things. It, it, I'm not say it's a legendary status, but that has allowed me to have parents view me as I really know what I'm doing when I'm there. And, and that communication was really kind of key. And it also helps parents to know what's going on. Oh, well, what happened at dance? Well, I don't know. First off, we're not allowed to watch dance. Second off, they they don't really want to talk to you because they've been burned by parents so much so many times they just don't want anything to do with you so uh you know if you engage the parents 
instead of viewing them as adversaries, view them as, you know, they, they love their kids. They really do. And they, they kind of want to know what's going on. That was really helpful. I did have one unruly parent, not unruly. Let's just say they, um, they wanted their kids to be good. And, you know, they didn't know how to view that. They didn't have a lot of experience with that. Um, I did write them a lot of emails. Um, but, you know, it could have been worse if I had not communicated with them. And by the end of it, I was like, you know, I, I'm sending these emails. I've done my part. If they're not getting it, what else can I do? So I'm just going to go to bed now and be done with it. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, but when I was as head coach, that would have that eaten away at me for, for days or weeks, having those interactions. Every email where it was just a, maybe it wasn't even angry. It was just worded in a way that I took offense to. I would be angry about it for days. Right. And that, that, that is some of the dark side of coaching, but it's a lot easier for me now as a parent to say, yeah, the, well, they, they just want their, their kids, you know, to be, um, happy and successful and you have to let them know what that looks like. Uh, I talk to a lot of, a lot of parents, especially my wife and I discuss, you know, if you always play the long game. Uh, you're always going to win. And so, may, you know, I've tried to put that into my emails with parents. You know, let, you know that the, the performance today wasn't great, you know, but, uh, you know, we're working towards them being good when they're 15, 16, or 17 years old. So, yeah, the dark side of coaching for me was kind of some of those parent things that when I came back, yes, I'm not the head coach anymore, but I'm still expected to engage the parents in my group. And... uh I think that has prevented me from a lot of things that may have upset me in the past. Uh, so yeah, there's, you know, the persona of coaching, there's a, the dealing with, um, the parents. That's really important. Um, uh, I don't have to deal with, uh, maybe political battles, uh, that you might get with say the city or with other clubs. I remember that being a little bit uh, kind of a source of stress. Right. Um, but again, uh, I think the head coach of our club, I, I say yet again, but this is the first time we kind of mentioned him. He's done a great job of uh, working with the community on some of those things. But he presents himself in, in a way that's not adversarial. And again, stuff I learned from from watching you interact, <laughs> how to keep your calm in situations. A lot of a lot of people will be will be surprised uh, hear you say that I, I kept my calm in situations. <laughs> I think at times, and, and you you, you were the source of calm in those board meetings. But uh, you know the uh, uh, kind of lost my train of thought here. But <laughs> uh, you know the if, if you're a young coach the political part of it is always going to be there in any job, in any field that you take. And it doesn't matter if you're, uh, you know, a grad student in academia. Uh, the thing that never really gets discussed, and I think the thing that smacks people in the face as quote-unquote the real world, is the political battles that you have to fight. You know, you have to fight for your pool time. You have to fight 
philosophies with other people in your community, you know, things of that nature. They're always going to be there. You can't run away from them. You have to learn how to engage them. And if you do that, they're not going to eat away at you, uh, eat, eat away at you as much. So, right. Um, this is kind of the, the last uh, question here. But uh, after having talked for a little bit uh, for a while, uh, covering all ins and outs of a long span of your life, uh, what what would you say is the most important thing people should know about you? I have no idea how to answer that. <laughs> Most important thing people should know about me. In case in case it hasn't been already discussed or if in case it, ha it has been discussed uh, during this conversation, uh, kind of just to reiterate. Uh, or I'll say that I failed a lot at writing my personal statements for medical school, so answering a question like that is really challenging. <laughs> Uh, on one hand, uh, because I'm not humble, I'm very interesting to myself. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, you could say I'm not interesting because uh, I don't. I'm not a world traveler. Um, I live in Iowa. I don't really go anywhere. <laughs> so, well, um, I'm not sure. This is this is well. You are a father of three kids and uh, raise a great family. Uh, and I'm not sure this is the the most important thing about you, but uh, I'm gonna say, um, uh, kind of like we mentioned and joked about you. You gave me my my first uh, full time job in the world of swimming, and uh, kind of set me into this path that, uh, for the good or the bad, uh, I've been on. And I I cannot thank you enough for uh, the the guidance and the friendship through the years. And for for having me kind of uh, thrust into this this world of swimming, that that I I, um, in case you can't tell, at times uh, I'm frustrating with, but uh, I deeply deeply love and 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 really appreciate uh, doing what I what I've done and doing what I'm planning on doing again and doing what I'm what I do now. So uh, again, probably not the most important thing about you, but uh, I I gotta thank you for for that for that opportunity and for for. Uh, um, your mentorship along the way. Uh, do you have any uh, closing thoughts, any closing remarks you'd like to um, touch on? Anything we ha we haven't talked about? Um, well, there's probably a lot I can still say about coaching kids and, and making them, you know, great people. Um, I really, I'm really proud of what we did uh, for the two years that we worked together. Uh, I, I, my name will not be attached to the success of the club. Uh, that was something I gave up when I decided to step away from, from head coaching and the club got more successful after I left. And for a while I was upset about that, but, uh, I, I go to bed at night knowing that hopefully the battles that I fought that were important uh, are battles that hopefully never need to be fought again. And, you know, I was a part of that, those growing pains for the club and selfishly I can say, yeah, uh, we changed, we changed the, uh, the course of a community 
now swimming is kind of a big thing in this community. The high school girls have won, you know, eight of nine years in high school state championships and got national title recognition. Uh, got a lot of, you know, a lot of high-level things. People realizing their dreams here in Ames, in this pools. Uh, and it's because of what we did. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of other people involved. Uh, a lot of the parents that need to be thanked. A lot of the other coaches for uh, the other entities need to be thanked. But without the driving force of our, our passion for the sport, I, I don't think that that would have happened. So uh, I'm, I feel very good about that. Uh, yes, I'm a man of big ego. I, I, I'm, I'm very clear about that. But <laughs> oddly enough, my name won't be remembered for those things. And I'm okay with that because, you know, I, my, my, my kids get to experience that. Uh, other people in the community get to see that. And uh, I'm really happy about that. Yeah, I was uh, thrilled to be a part of those years. And I, I kind of like you mentioned, there's a, there were a lot of growing pains. There was a lot of uh, things that uh, needed to change uh, in terms of mentality in the community to uh, allow the club to blossom. And there was also just... Uh, that was the other part that was a fantastic group of kids that I that I got a chance to work with and they were the ones that drove more than anybody else probably I, I, I think we, we really had the the right the right uh, right kids in the in the club at the time too uh, I'll always be thankful for, for that group as well um, I'm not sure if you want to put out a way to people to get in touch with you in case they want to know more, more about the physics of swimming, <laughs> especially uh, well, again, sign up for the college course. They're, they're only my opinions. <laughs> to be clear on that. Um, uh, well, I mean, the, my, I think my email address is on our club website, so I have no problems with that. Um, I'm happy to engage. However... It's probably easier to get opinions out of me in the month of March and May. That that's that's probably my freest that's month. About <laughs> that's about it. Right. Well, Aaron, thanks again. Uh, thank you for everything. Thank you for sitting down for taking the time. Uh, we're doing this at uh, close to midnight because it was the time you put your kids to sleep a little bit and we had time to sit down. So uh, again, can't thank you enough for for everything. Thanks for having me, Lucas. Swim Coaching Transit Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And if you made it this far, I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy this, please take a few seconds to give this podcast five stars or a positive review on whatever podcast player you use. And if you like to hear more shows like this, go ahead and subscribe. And thanks again to Aaron for everything, including agreeing to do this long interview at around midnight after a very hectic day with three kids, a full-time job, and a part-time coaching job. As always, be sure to check out the show notes on my blog, swimcoachintransit.com. That's swimcoachintransit, all spelled out together in lowercase with no dashes or special characters. There you can always find links to everything we talked about or everything that I could link to, as well as more info on the other episodes. You can also check out the notes on the club visits I did while traveling and recording this podcast. And I know I'm partial, but I really think there's some good stuff out there. 
thanks to my good friend Madhu for the soundtrack to this podcast. You can also find his Instagram info on the show notes. And if you like music at all, it's well worth checking out. And also thanks to Zapsled for the sound effects. And that's it. Thanks again. And I hope you catch the next one. <laughs>